Hello, and welcome to Meditations from Middle Earth. My name is Strider, and I'm a Christian worker here in where I call Middle Earth. We love to meditate on God's Word, and He's given us so many unique and rich experiences here in Middle Earth, and I'd like to share those insights with you here on Meditations from Middle Earth. Today, I want us to continue to look at uh, the Beatitudes as a way of coming into the presence of God through uh, contemplative prayer. Um, as we look at, I uh, think again about Guido's The Second's Ladder that we talked about in the beginning, and we remember that it, he begins his ladder with uh, Scripture, the Lexio Divina, then going to meditation, um, then going to prayer, and then to contemplative prayer, contemplation. And I've been uh, kind of giving some teachings here uh, before we get to the scripture on each of the rungs of the ladder. And today I want to just uh, say a few things about prayer. Obviously, prayer, a huge subject. Uh, we can talk a lot about prayer, and um, I would really love to, but I'm not going to right now. Uh, let's just say that for the purposes of um, the exercise that we're doing, uh, moving towards contemplative prayer, there needs to be a section of prayer before you get there. You need to say what you need to say before you sit quietly and wait in the presence of God. And so as you, you read the scriptures, as we've talked about in the Lexia Divina, you um, meditate upon the scripture that he has highlighted to you, and then you move uh, to him in prayer. And I want to think especially um, the verse that we're using, of course, uh, with uh, uh, as we move to contemplative prayer in each one of our sessions, you know, I'm using Revelation 3.20, on Jesus' famous, I'm standing at the door and knocking verse. And so here we are, he's standing and knocking, and we are also uh, knocking on his door, <laughs> as it were. We, he's, he's wanting to come in, but we're asking that he come in. And <clears throat> uh, it has been said that we can't ask for something if he has not first uh, inspired us to ask it. Uh, of all true prayer that's answered and from him, that, that is the case. It's uh, Juliana of Norwich famously says, I am the ground of thy beseeching. First, it is my will, thou shalt have it. After, I make thee to will it. And after, I make thee to beseech it. And thou beseechest it. How should it then be that thou shouldst not have thy beseeching. In other words, uh, to translate that old English a little better, is uh, Jesus is, is saying to Juliana here, I'm the reason you're asking for this. I'm the one who's caused you to ask it. And now once you ask for it, how is it that I won't give it to you? <laughs> and so for, and, and in true prayer, where we're in communion with God and we're asking for the things that he wants us to have already, uh, now this is a, a conversation 
and and not just uh, I'm coming before Almighty Santa Claus and asking my laundry list of things. Now it's a conversation with our Heavenly Father where he already knows the things that we need and uh, we look expectantly to him to provide the things that we need and to even let us know what is what is it exactly that we need. I know what I think I need, um, but you know what I need. So what is it, Lord? And we're waiting on him in that way. Um, so certainly asking for things for ourselves and remember for others as well. This is intercession. We see others who are in need and we uh, bring those needs before the Father. If somebody needs uh, a few dollars, I can just give them a few dollars. Uh, but if somebody has huge needs in their life, somebody has deep spiritual needs in their lives, um, so often I recognize that I am not God. Uh, somebody said the, the beginning of all good theology is uh, there is a God and you are not him. And so I think that uh, recognizing that the people that we love need more than we have to give, and therefore we give them to God, and we look to God to meet all their needs. And sometimes he meets some of their needs through us, but uh, so often we need to lift them up. And there's no point in saying, well, all of that is just selfish. You want things for yourself. You want things for your friends. And you just need to be really pure spiritual guy uh, or woman and just, you know, seek God and God alone. And it doesn't work that way, does it? Because as you sit quietly waiting on the Lord, you're bombarded with all of the needs that you have. What are you going to have to, for dinner today? You've got a meeting coming up uh, that's going to be have a difficult conversation. You you have some serious financial needs. You have friends who have serious financial needs. You you don't know what to do in a given situation. In all these things, your brain will just be bombarded with them. And so, as we look to contemplative prayer. Yeah, we want to meditate on the scripture that God has given to us to meditate on and fill our minds with that. But we need to empty our minds of all the stuff uh, that's filling them up. And the way to do that is through prayer. And through prayer, I take my needs and the needs of those around me and I give them to God. I lay them at the foot of the cross, knowing that that cross represents what? That cross represents that God loves me and you, and all of us, more than ever I could love anybody, even myself. He already loves, and he proved that on the cross. And so as we lay our burdens at his feet, then we uh, can be free to then sit quietly and to have true peace, and in that space, make room for him to come and be present with us and to speak with us. In contemplation. And so um, I always find this very helpful. This, I learned it, I think, all the way back in the 70s. It's the old ACTS method of prayer. The acronym spells out <clears throat> A-C-T-S, ACTS, you know, as adoration. Uh, we adore God. This is uh, our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. Uh, confession. And, and we're confessing uh, our sin to God. 
This is a really important aspect. If you're burdened down with sin in your life, if you've made serious mistakes or or made really poor choices, uh, those things are just going to weigh on you and they're going to stand between you and God. Uh, and again, he died on the cross precisely in because he was wanting to remove those things from between us. And so he wants to take away your sin, take away all those uh, things that are barriers to you. And when you elevate your sin, and when you make it very large in your own eyes so that you can't see anything else, uh, then you're blinded to uh, the reality around the world and you're, and you're blinded to uh, the things of heaven and, and of God. And so you've, uh, when you elevate your sin and make uh, your life story all about the things that you've done wrong, then what you're doing is you're making an idol out of your sin and you won't be able to see and love others well and you won't be able to see and love God well. So take those sins remove them from you and put them on the cross. This is why Jesus gives us the cross. I, I, I used the phrase just now, you remove them and you put them. Um, but the reality of the situation is that Jesus has already done this. But you need to acknowledge that he's done this. And if you don't do that, uh, then your sin can blind you uh, to all that he's saying and doing around you. So uh, here we have adoration, confession, then we move to Thanksgiving, and we're just grateful. I, I can't commend gratitude to you enough. I tell my children all the time, attitude of gratitude, attitude of gratitude. If you are in an attitude of gratitude where you are so thankful for the good things that are all around you all the time, then then your eyesight becomes clearer. You become able to see uh, what he is about, what he is doing. I'm reminded of uh, Isaiah chapter 6. And the angels are pictured there around the throne of God. And they're calling out, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And you read those words and you just think, wow, those angels are like really deceived. Because I've been looking at the earth and I don't see a lot of glory of God. And I think that's the whole point. You don't see it. They who are in the presence of God see that he's always at work. They see that he's everywhere in his creation, moving and loving and doing good in this world. Yes, evil is abounding in this world. It's terrible. It's dark on all sides. But when you look through the lens of thanksgiving, you see that actually you're deceived. Uh, it's not the angels who are deceived. It's you who are deceived. The angels see very clearly that God is at work as a creation, and there's much to be thankful for. It's we who uh, are deceived. And, and in the darkness that we've allowed to cover our eyes uh, from the blinding light of his grace and glory that's at move, moving all times, all places. So... Uh, this this Thanksgiving is is such a game changer for us in order to feel, to sit in the manifest presence of God. And, uh, and finally, we think about, um, again, Jesus' model prayer that he gives us in the Lord's Prayer, you know, is deliver us from evil. Uh, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And 
and um, and we are concerned uh, about the traps that await us, uh, the problems uh, that we have, the ways that things could go wrong in a world that moves in so much darkness and is an oppo- is a, so opposed to the light. And so as we're concerned about those things, again, we lay those things at the cross of Christ and know that he's taking care of them. He's our protection. He's our fortification. He's our sustainer. And he will take care of those things. And so we lay them at his feet so that when we come to uh, uh, the contemplation, part of our prayer, we're free of all these things that would have distracted us because we've laid them at the foot of at the feet of Christ. So I commend to you this acts method, this adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication method of of praying. Yes, there are many other methods of praying and I'd love to keep talking about that. Um, but I think uh, we're going to leave that there. We'll talk about more suggestions and prayer uh, later on. But but for now let's let's move to our Lexio today, which is going to continue to be in the Beatitudes. You remember that we've, uh, as Jesus stands up here on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to speak to his disciples and to the crowd. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now let's say that I've been reading the word and this verse leaps off the page at me and I think this is the Lord saying something to me today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's meditate on that just for a few minutes. As we think again about being blessed, blessed, happier those, Joyful are those. You have, those are the people who have the favor of God upon them. Who are these kinds of people? Are the people apparently who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Now let's think, as, as I think about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, this is something that I want for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one who's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You know, so often in... Um, not only the Christian religion and traditions, but around the world, in all traditions and in all religions, people hunger and thirst for righteousness for everybody else. I wish that guy was holier. I wish that guy would stop sinning against me. I wish that guy were a better person. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness for ourselves is something that we, that we too often leave behind. We leave it behind because... We get disillusioned and discouraged. I, I, uh, years and years ago, I knew a man who was caught in a horrific sin and he lost his ministry uh, because of the sin that he was in. And his testimony was this. He said, I, I knew it was wrong to do what I was doing, but I prayed that God would take it away from me, and he didn't. And when he didn't take it away from me, I decided that it was just okay to do that that that's just who I was. And I kept doing this sin. The sin hurt a lot of people. And in the end, it cost this man his reputation and his ministry. It cost him everything. And it's because way, way back in the beginning, he hungered and thirsted for righteousness. 
But when he didn't taste it, when he didn't see it, when it didn't come about, he, he came to believe that it wasn't possible. And you know, when we talk, I was just talking about prayer. And in prayer, we were talking about asking God for things. You know, we don't ask for things that we don't believe exist. If, if I don't think something is possible, I'm not going to ask for it. You know, if I need a million dollars and I look at you and I think, wow, you don't have a million dollars, I'm not going to ask you for a million dollars. I'm not going to do it because I don't believe you have it. Therefore, if, what, I'm going to have to find my need met some other way. And too often, um, especially religious people, lose faith that hungering and thirsting for righteousness could ever be satisfied. But Jesus is telling his people right here, no, no, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. If you hunger and thirst for uh, lots of other things, maybe you'll never get those things. But those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they will be filled, it says. So this is the promise to those who hunger and thirst, and it may take time. And I want you to not get discouraged that it's taking much, much longer. I have sin in my life that I've been praying about for a long time, and I think I'm doing okay, and then there it comes. There come those hateful thoughts. There come judgmental thoughts. There come angry thoughts. There I am having a perfectly fine conversation with my wife or my friend or one of my children, and all of a sudden I say something outrageous, mean-spirited, judgmental. And I think, really? <laughs> After all these years, I'm still that guy. Don't let your sin become so large in your own eyes. Hunger and thirst for righteousness and know that you will be filled. So never give up on hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Change happens. God is moving. And so I, I do want us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, as Jesus is saying, those who are blessed will be. And, and I think about it, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. What we do is when we get discouraged about our own righteousness, uh, we start being very concerned about other people's righteousness. Have you noticed that? Uh, religious people, especially around the world, they, they get discouraged about their own, but they, they all of a sudden become very concerned about everybody else's uh, righteousness. And they take these verse, this verse to mean, oh, uh, those who hunger and thirst for other people's righteousness. And so they're all about telling everybody else what they should be doing, whereas, as Jesus says, while not lifting a finger, to move it themselves. And um, yeah, we need not be in this position of tying great burdens for other people. This is about you and your own journey with the Lord. As you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you long for others to be righteous as well, and maybe you should, it's not that you're telling them off is going to help them. It's that your example is going to help them. I've struggled with these things. I see you're struggling with these things. I've made these moves in my life, and the Lord has given me grace. Maybe he'll give you grace as well. Let's pray for that. 
It's a very different approach than just throwing rocks at everybody and condemning everybody and elevating yourself above everybody else. No, hungering and thirsting for righteousness isn't a, a journey of pride. It's a journey of humility where we're asking for something we know we don't have. <laughs> isn't that what I'm doing? If I say, Lord, I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Well, why are you hungry and thirsty? Well, because I don't have it. So we're acknowledging that we don't have what we long for and we're asking the Lord for it. And we know that we will be filled. It's his promise to us. So this is a powerful idea for me. It, again, it, in, in being consistent with the poor in spirit and with those who mourn and uh, for those who are meek, being consistent with these ideas, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, again puts me in the lower place, in the place of the person who doesn't have and looks to God to provide. And as I think about that and meditate on that, I'm just grateful for his grace and for his promise that those who hunger and thirst will be filled. And similarly to what we've already talked about, yes, I'll be filled eschatologically in the future when he comes again, when I go to him, ultimately in his kingdom come, his will will be done even in my life as it is in heaven. But this promise is not only for some distant future hope and of glory, but it's a promise for today. Jesus was speaking to needy people in his day, and he's speaking to a needy me today. And so I know as I look to him, I know that I'm going to find him. He says, knock, and the door will be open. The Apostle Paul uh, encourage us to um, to uh, walk, to walk in holiness, and to and to and to live this this kind of life. So he says, "Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the things of the flesh." And so, if we walk in the Spirit, if we look to God and walk in Him and His ways, then we're going to find that we will be filled. Because this is a prayer, again, that he's calling us to pray. And if he's called us to pray it, how will he not respond and give us that which we ask for? Let's move to a time of prayer now. Heavenly Father, I am guilty of so many things that I don't want to be guilty of. I do move in pride, wanting others to think much of me. I do move in selfishness and self-centeredness, wanting the story of everyone's lives around me to be about me and what they think of me. And I do become so impatient when things don't go my way and somebody doesn't agree with me and somebody doesn't honor me the way I think I should be honored. Lord, I'm sorry for these things. I take these things and I wrap them up and I lay them at the feet of your cross asking you to take these things and do away with them and to replace them instead with your grace, with your beauty, with your love. Let's move to a time of contemplation. Let's read the verse, Revelation 3.20. Jesus says to us, Listen, 
I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. Open the door. Let's slowly say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who are in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, both now and forever. Amen. This has been Meditations from Middle Earth. May God be your ever-present teacher and richly bless you on your journey.